And that was awesome. The words that they even had in these songs today. Uh, Tear down the walls of my tradition. Tear down the ground of my religion. Your ways are better. I love that chorus. And honestly, that's a bit of a summary of my message today about worship. Because worship will expose tradition and religion every time. And why is that bad? If you've never thought, the word religion is filled with a whole lot of things. There's, there's the understanding of religion when you think about it as, as, as somebody's faith. The Christian religion, the Buddhist religion, the Muslim religion, the, the, the Jewish religion, right? Some people, that's, that's their full understanding of religions. There's multiple religions here on this earth. But let me tell you something about being a Christian. It was never meant to be a religion. Christianity... Our faith was never meant to be a religion. Why? Because religion is filled with rules and regulations. And if you read the story of Jesus, the religious people, we call them the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and ever since you were in you know, children's church growing up, you almost picture these guys as the bad guys because they were walking around telling Jesus to stop. Literally, don't heal that person. Wait, Why? Why wouldn't you want this person to be well? Because it's the Sabbath. We're supposed to rest and worship on the Sabbath. So don't heal that person. You know what Jesus said? Sir, please stretch out your hand. His hand was withered. As he stretched it out, it became whole. Jesus came and lived on earth for 33 years, breaking down tradition and religion. Man, it is... A man, Proverbs, I believe it's in Proverbs 16. It says, man has a way, but God comes and has a better way. We saw that in the flesh. We can read about it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus didn't come to bring another religion to the world. He came to bring relationship and end all religions. When people make our faith a religion, that's what others look to and see, and they think, well, Christians are just like everybody else. Why would I want to be a Christian? Why would I want to go to your church? Christians are just like everybody else. Well, when Christianity is a list of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts, yeah, it is just like everything else. It is, and it's gross. When you add to the word and say, well, you know, there's liberty in Jesus, but you don't need to do this or that. There's a difference, hear me out, between religion, rules rules and, and things, and standards. You can have standards, and that doesn't mean you're religious. You can have standards. We don't watch certain things in our house because we have standards. That's not religion. We don't listen to certain music in our house because we have standards. It's not religion. And every once in a while, when certain music pops up on a kid's Spotify playlist, we have a talk about it. I didn't know that song said those things. Well, well, we do now, so we're not going to have that song on the Spotify playlist. Standards are not religion, but religion is rules and regulations. And when we impose those on other people, they run as far as they can and as fast as they can away from our faith because it just appears to be another religion. Remember our definition of worship that we started this series off with. My favorite part of that definition was one of the more modern translations and one of the more modern uh, copies of Webster's Dictionary, it says to be wild about something. Well, let me tell you, when your worship begins to become wild because you've spent so much time with Jesus, 
you've spent so much time with the Lord, you just can't help it. It exposes that religious spirit. It exposes religion. And why is it important to expose religion? Because when something is exposed, it loses its power. Do you know what the power of darkness is? The power of darkness is that you can't see in it. Think about it. You can hear when it's dark. You can feel when it's dark. You can taste. You can touch when it's dark. But you can't see when it's dark. That's the power of darkness. But when there is just the smallest amount of light in a dark room, that darkness loses its power. And the closer you are to that light, the more darkness, the more power the darkness loses. Maybe there's a little light at the other side of the dark room and you can stumble your way safely to the light. But if, even if it's just a little bit of light in your hand, you can light at least the next step in front of you and safely navigate through a dark room. Darkness loses its power when the light comes on. And the closer you get to that light, the more power it loses. So I'm going to give you some examples in real life and some examples from the Word when worship exposes religion. First, I want to talk a little bit more about religion, this religious spirit, and why it's nasty and why it's gross and what makes it so nasty and what makes it so gross. Because I do believe there's at least a few people in this building that has never thought about religion or this religious spirit being a negative thing. In fact, there's some people that have only thought about religion as being something positive. But really, it's not. Think about these Pharisees, these Sadducees that Jesus rebuked over and over again, that we consider the bad guys in his story. There was a list of rules. There was a list of regulations God gave to Moses in the desert. If you don't know your Bible history, our faith begins with Abraham, Father Abraham. Eventually, one of his descendants, Moses, is living in Egypt, and he leads the people of Israel who had become slaves out of Egypt into the wilderness where they reconnect with God, Yahweh, Jehovah Jireh, our provider, our God. For the first time for most of them in their lives, they reconnect with God and he says, here you go, I'm going to take care of you guys. Here's a list of things that you should do and things that you shouldn't do that will keep you safe. And at the time, they might not have known this, but what we know now, looking back, here's a list of rules, of regulations that will keep you safe until I send my Savior, my Son, your Savior, who's going to fulfill all these rules and then you will be free in your relationship with me. So for a few couple thousand years, whatever, there was this list of rules, this list of regulations. And as Jesus was walking the earth, they had actually even added to it. And it had grown. And the Pharisees and Sadducees said things like, if you don't keep every law of Moses, you have no place in the kingdom of God. And then they added things like, if you don't keep the word or, or, or his words literally in front of you at all times, they had these little devices that literally wrapped around their heads and held scriptures in front of their face because the word says, keep my word before you at all times. You know what that means? That means we need to make a device that wraps around our head and we can clip scriptures onto it so that it'll always be in front of us. That's real. I'm not making that up. That's how much they had twisted the rules and the regulations that Moses received in the desert. And they said, if you don't follow every one of these, you're just dirt. You're no good. You have no place in this kingdom. 
Jesus showed up on the scene and man, he had them twisted at every turn. They were the ones that said, don't heal that person. It's the Sabbath. Is it good to heal? Is this good? They couldn't even answer the question. They were that religious. They couldn't even see the goodness in somebody's arm becoming whole. They couldn't even see the goodness in a lame man being healed. When Jesus healed the lame man, I believe it was on the Sabbath, because he picked up his mat, which Jesus said, take up your mat and walk. This guy had been lame from birth. He had been a beggar his whole life. They knew him. The Pharisees and the Sadducees in that city knew that man. Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk. And he did. And when he walked past the Pharisees, do you know what they saw? The mat. You're carrying a mat on the Sabbath. Can you imagine not seeing that scene and saying, oh my God, you're walking. No, that's not what they saw. They saw the mat. That's what religion does. Religion points out the mat every time and ignores the goodness in the healing. That's what religion does. You see the difference. I want to make sure I say this. Rob, my friend Rob, pointed this out a few months back and I've thought about it ever since. Those Pharisees and those Sadducees, this is the funniest part. Out of everybody that was a part of their faith, it's kind of ironic to think that they were the ones who were the closest to actually following the rules the right way. Think about this. They were the ones who were at least the closest to fulfilling all those rules. But the difference... And the bad thing is that they began to take pride in the fact that they were the closest. And what we know from James 4, I believe it's verse 6, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So here's these guys that are the closest in the community to actually obeying the rules. And Jesus is like, you actually are the ones who are missing it the most. That's what he told him. Maybe you're the closest. Maybe you got nine out of 10 right but you're the furthest away from me if you want to be honest. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, well, you must fulfill the commandments. You must obey the law. If you look at Jesus, when somebody comes to him in desperation, when somebody comes to him in his time here on earth that didn't know anything about the rules, he responded to them, out of 100% grace. The Samaritan woman at the well. You have, you, you've said right, lady, you don't have a husband. You have five. And in fact, you have five, and he begins to prophesy to her. She goes back, gets everybody in her town, and they all get saved. They all meet Jesus that day. How about the thief on the cross? Man, that dude had no time to repent and no way to do it. He was literally nailed to a cross. He couldn't have repented and changed his life if he tried yet he looks at jesus and he says will you remember me and jesus says yes this rich young ruler approaches jesus and when people approached him with the law there was many times he responded to them with the law this guy approaches him what must i do to be saved not can you save me that's what a lot of people kind of said to him he said yes i can what must I do to be saved? Well, obey the commandments. I've done those since I was a boy. 
And Jesus says, right, you have. I think it was more like, yeah, right. Let me tell you why I think it was more like, yeah, right. Because the next thing Jesus said is, you lack one thing, go sell everything you own and follow me. And if you know the story, it says he couldn't do it. So he left sad and dejected and didn't follow Jesus. What's the first commandment? Have no other gods before me. So he says, I've followed every commandment since I was a boy. And Jesus says, right. What about the first one? And he said, oh, yeah, no, I haven't done that. I can't do that. And he left dejected. Because even when you approach Jesus through the law, you're going to be disappointed. Because if you're not good enough, you are going to cut yourself off from what he has for you. And at best, let's say you think you're doing pretty good. You're going to approach him with pride. And what do we know from the word? You get resistance if you approach the Lord with pride. Man, on my best day, I don't measure up to the law. On my best day. Jesus said, if you have a lustful thought, you've committed adultery. Man, he said, if you have a hatred in your heart, you've committed murder. Let's just be honest, on my best day, I could still be guilty of murder. On my best day, I could still be guilty of adultery. Did he say that to point out our failures and to cast us aside? No, he said that for the exact opposite. He said, no matter what you've done, come to me. Religion rejects that idea. Zacchaeus was in a tree. He was a known sinner. He was a tax collector, and it was well-known fact that he would steal from the poor for himself to become richer. This was not Robin Hood. This was the opposite. He was in a tree, and religion says, leave him in the tree. He's a thief. But Jesus comes around, and he says, hey, come down. Let's go to your house and have some food. Religion says, don't be seen with him. Religion says, don't go to his table. They'll think you're a thief. They'll think you're benefiting from his thievery. They'll think this. They'll think that. No, religion says all that. Relationship says, let's go to your house. Let's have dinner with no strings attached. And you know what the result is of religion? He stays in the tree. Do you know what the result is of relationship? When Jesus leaves his house, he says, you've changed my life. I'll take everything I've stolen and I'm going to give it back. So think about the people that he stole from. Let's just say the next day they get a knock on their door and it's Zacchaeus. Oh man, I don't have anything left. You took it all. You took my dog yesterday. All right, well, let me tell you. Here's, here's, your, here's Rover back. Let me give you Rover. And I got a little, little, little bag attached to his collar and it's, it's all, the, all the money I've taken from you over the past couple years. I'm sorry. I met a man who changed my life. He didn't call me out. He didn't tell me I was dirt. He had a meal with me. Remember that song we sang today? There's a table that you prepared for me in the presence of my enemies. This is how I fight my battles. Religion tries to go in and make it happen on their own relationship. Man, you just pull up and Jesus changes people's lives. Religion leaves Zacchaeus in the tree. Relationship goes and has dinner. You see a huge difference between religion and relationship in the lives of Saul and David. Okay, so this is even before Jesus. But one of the things religion does is religion is all about pleasing men, pleasing people. Relationship is about pleasing God, and that's it. 
Saul became king. He was the first king of Israel. And when Israel demanded a king, God didn't want them to have a king. He wanted them to be ruled by judges and prophets, and he wanted to be their king. I'll be your king. I'll speak through some prophets. I'll judge through judges. I'll be your king. They said, no, we want a real king. We want a human. We want a man we can look at. And God said, what man would you like? And in a roundabout way, they said, how about the tallest one? And so Saul was the tallest, and he got to become king. He was the best looking. He had the most hair, or at least it was fixed the right way. But isn't that what man does? We pick the person who looks the part the best, and we say, please, get on your pedestal. We will all bow down and do whatever you say. What you like, we will like. What you wear, we will wear. What you think, we will think. That's what they did all those thousands of years ago. They put Saul up on a pedestal. And within 40 years, he had completely turned his back on the relationship that he did have with God and given in completely to religion and people pleasing. In fact, he was told, go in and when this this army attacks you, destroy them all. Don't leave anybody alive because these people are a poison to my people. Get rid of them. Don't even take their things. Burn the houses down. Don't take any of the treasure. Don't take any plunder. So Saul and his men go in. They win the battle. But they're like, I mean, this stuff is pretty nice. I know God said don't take it, but like, this is a cool little statue guy. This is a nice little pile of money. So they begin to take some plunder. So the prophet shows up, Samuel. And he says, Saul, because you didn't listen to the Lord, I have rejected you. And I have anointed somebody else to be king, a man after my own heart, talking about David. Do you know what Saul's response was to the prophet? He said, I messed up. Before you go, could you please honor me in front of the people one more time? Can you imagine? He had just received a message. You have been rejected by God. And his first thought was, please honor me in front of the humans. Not, how can I get back into the right place? Not, please ask him not to leave me. Not, I I don't want to be rejected. How can I be accepted again? No, he said, please honor me in front of the people. A similar thing happened with David. He had a huge mistake when he was king. It involved adultery. It involved murder. And after he had done a pretty good job of hiding all the evidence, and destroying the evidence, he probably could have gotten away with it. And then the prophet Nathan shows up and he tells David a story, a parable. Well, David thought it was a real story. But he tells him about a person in his kingdom who had cheated, committed a crime, and similar to the one David committed. And he said, what should the punishment be? And David says, bring him here. We're going to kill him right now and end his life. And the prophet said, ooh, harsh. Uh, It's you, actually. You're the one. And I was talking about you the whole time. Do you know what David's response was in this moment when he got called out and knew he had been exposed for adultery and murder? And I know this is graphic, but let's just be honest. When the king approaches somebody and says, we're about to do this, it's not even really consensual. That's basically rape. I know that's a horrible, horrible word to say, but I'm just trying to point out how bad of a mistake this was that David made. And his response was, I have sinned against the Lord and the Lord alone. How, how can I make this right? I'll repent right now. And man, if you read this story, there was heavy, heavy consequences for what David did. 
that he brought upon himself. But you know what the Lord says? I've not rejected you. And this is before Jesus. So now that we have a Savior who has paid the price and the penalty for the worst things we've ever done in our lives, when we mess up, we have a God that is saying in the very moment we make our mistake, I haven't rejected you. I haven't rejected you. Please come to me. Come to me. And when David went to him, he wasn't rejected at all. That's relationship. Saul was filled with religion and he was only concerned about pleasing the people. David messed up and treated people really badly. But when he went to the father, the man after God's own heart, God said, I won't reject you and I haven't rejected you. Religion brings David out into the courtyard and ends his life for what he did. Relationship says, I haven't rejected you. In the New Testament, there's religion pulls a lady out of an adulterous affair and brings her into the streets ready to stone her. They're ready to kill her. And the rule says, you can do it. The rule says at the time that if she was caught in adultery, she can be stoned to death in the streets. Jesus shows up and disperses the crowd. He says, if somebody in this circle is perfect, let them throw the first stone. He was perfect. He could have picked up a stone and thrown it, yet he chose not to. Religion chooses to throw the stones every time. Relationship chooses to drop the stones, to look at the person and to say, I can still use you. I don't condemn you. Get up, go, and sin no more. That's relationship. Religion is a nasty, nasty thing. Religion actually stops you from experiencing the presence of God. Religion actually stops you from being creative. You, as a Christian, as a believer, have the mind of Christ, not just the most creative mind on the inside of you. The mind that created everything around you is resident on the inside of you. But religion will cut you off from accessing those create those creative thoughts. Religion is bad, bad, bad stuff. And it's all around you. And if we're not careful, it can get up all inside of us too. My mother-in-law always tells this story. Growing up in the church she grew up in, they had their list of rules, and honestly, you wouldn't find most of them in the Bible. She wasn't allowed to swim with anybody of the opposite sex. You had to have your girls swim time at camp, and then they got out of the water, and the boys can go swim, right? They called it, um, what's that? Mixed bathing. Man, doesn't that make swimming with somebody sound horrible? We're not, we don't allow mixed bathing. I mean, we're not bathing. We're just jumping in a lake. That wasn't allowed. It wasn't, you, there was, the list of rules were so long. She wasn't allowed to wear shorts. She wasn't allowed to wear blue jeans. She wasn't allowed to cut her hair. She wasn't allowed to do all these things. And here's what happens when you put religion, especially on young people. You grow up, 
You start to have these other thoughts like, man, is it actually that bad to jump in the lake with somebody that's not the same sex as me? And you jump in the lake with somebody that's not the same sex as you. And then you have this thought, you know, I don't actually feel rejected by God right now. I actually don't feel any different than I did before I jumped in the lake. And then the next thought is, well, I guess the whole thing is a crock then. If that's not true, I guess none of it's true. And you have people that run as far as they can away from the word and from the Lord. That's why sometimes we all know people like this, the ones that have the strictest rules. Sometimes it seems like those kids run the furthest, the fastest from the things of God. It's because as soon as they experience something that doesn't line up with the added rules and they don't feel rejected by God, their mind says, well, maybe I should just throw it all out. I don't think rules are bad. My kids actually have a lot of rules. I love what Pat Robertson says. Rules with no relationship equals rebellion. But rules with relationship, man, we can work with that. Kids can work with that. Kids can work with that. But when you're talking about faith and you start telling somebody, if you cut your hair, you'll be rejected by God. If you wear blue jeans, you have no place in the kingdom. If you jump in the pool with that person, you have no place in the kingdom. If you marry somebody that doesn't look like you, have the same color skin you have, you have no place in the kingdom. If you, if you look at that person who, who is very confused about their identity and tell them they're going to hell and Jesus has no place in them, then you know what? You're adding. You're adding to what the word says. And it's called religion. And there's not one person out there who won't eventually run as far as they can from it. And if they don't run from it, it will put them into the ground and bury them eventually. At the very best, you might think you're doing pretty good. And that just leads to pride. And that's not good either. It's just as bad as the other side. I wanted to make sure I talked quite a bit this morning about the difference between religion and relationship. How does it have anything to do with worship? I'm actually going to close with this final point and I'm going to have to come back to this message next week and talk about how to respond to the religious spirits, right? To the religious attitude. I mean, it's, just let me tell you this from my heart. It's a very important part of this message. Don't just listen to this first half and not come back next week to hear the second half. Or don't, if you can't be here, listen to the podcast because I'm telling you, that's basically one message that I'm going to have to do in two parts. Because I don't just want to talk about how bad it is and then not tell you how to respond to it. Because that's the most important part. But here's how it has to do with worship. I'm going to read two stories. Well, actually, I'm going to read one story from the Bible uh, and, and give you one other example. We've talked about Mary pouring the oil out at the feet of Jesus, I think maybe every week during this series. Everybody familiar with this story? She, she takes the bottle of perfume, the oil. It's, it's a worth a year's salary, and she pours it at the feet of Jesus in an act of worship. She was wild about Jesus. She had spent time with him. She saw the sick healed. She saw the dead raised. She saw and she experienced the unconditional love that he had towards her and everybody else that was around him. From the people that shared his faith to the people that had rejected his faith to the people of completely different faiths. She experienced and saw his unconditional love firsthand and she became so wild about him. She took that perfume, didn't even consider how much it cost. She dumped it at his feet. And Judas says, 
Look at that waste of money. We could have funded this ministry for a good year with that. We could have fed all these people. He, Jesus had previously fed maybe close to 10,000 people with a few pieces of bread and a few fish. And Judas is like, man, we could have fed everybody with that. Can you imagine seeing that and not thinking, oh, Jesus will make a way. We'll find food. We don't need that for food. He'll find a way to feed these people. And all he saw was, what could we do? That was a religious spirit in him rising up in that moment. Worship exposed that religious spirit in Judas. And here's another one. We're going to go back to the story of David. This is in the book of 2 Samuel. The backstory, and this will just be five minutes, maybe even less. The backstory is the Ark of the Covenant. That's what uh, Moses and the children of Israel built in the wilderness. And it represented, it represented their covenant with God. It represented their relationship with God. And once the temple was built and the Ark of the Covenant was placed in the Holy of Holies, the Bible says the presence of God fell into the Holy of Holies and hovered over the Ark of the Covenant at the mercy seat. There was something physical, something tangible, something that could be seen or felt or touched, something. We don't have a ton of details, but his presence physically dwelled in this place over the Ark of the Covenant. It represented relationship. It represented their relationship with God. It had been moved. It had been taken out of the city. The Philistines had stolen it. They won a battle and they were like, oh, go get the ark. And they, they took the ark and they ran off with it. And David, when he became king, says, you know what? I'm tired of the ark of the covenant being somewhere it doesn't belong. Let's go get it back. So they go to get it back. It's a long story. This was actually their second attempt. I'm not going to get into their first attempt, but in their second attempt to bring the ark of the covenant back to the city of David, they get a report. It had been at this guy's house, Obed-Edom, it had been in his house for a few months, and this report came back to David. Do you know everything that dude has done since the Ark of the Covenant was in his house has become blessed? That dude is richer. He's happier. His wife is prettier. He's a little bit taller. His hair grew back. He doesn't have that bald spot anymore. No, it doesn't go into those details. But basically, his entire life had gotten better when he invited the presence of God into his house. There's a whole other message there. But just let, let's just stop right there. When he allowed the presence of God to fill his house, his whole life got better. And David said, well, we can't let him have all the glory. Let's go get that thing. I want that stuff too, right? So they go back to get the Ark of the Covenant, and that's where we pick up here. King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the Ark of God. So David went there and brought the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration, extreme worship. Because when you know the Lord, because when you've seen how much he loves you, man, your worship becomes more extreme than you could ever imagine. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. It's the same kind of ram horn that Mr. John has on Sundays that he blows during worship. That kind of horn. They were blowing the horn. They were making sacrifices. When he had finished his sacrifice, burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord, when he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Then he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, a cake of raisins. Then all the people returned to their homes. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michal, the king of Israel, 
uh, Michal, the daughter of Saul. So this is one of David's wives. She was the daughter of Saul, the king who was so religious, the king who only was concerned about pleasing the people. She's up in the tower. She's looking down. She sees David dancing with all his might before the Lord, leading the presence of God back into his city, back into his kingdom. She came out to meet him and she said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michal, I was dancing before the Lord. In other words, he was saying those servant girls, they just happened. Everybody else just happened to be in my space. That was just me and the Lord. I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, I'm willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. Those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I'm distinguished. So Michal, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. This obviously affected their relationship greatly, right? She was upset. Extreme worship, Exposed this religious spirit inside of her, the same one that was inside of her dad. This was a generational thing. But it exposed that religion in her, and religion stopped her from fulfilling the things that she was called to do. It says she remains childless. I promise you, she didn't want to be. She didn't want to be childless. That was part of why she was created. That's part of why women were created, to bear children. But this religious spirit cut her off from dreams This religious spirit cut her off from the things that she was called to do. Can you imagine being so offended because somebody is dancing before the Lord? Well, let me be honest. I've been there. I've seen people come into church and they start dancing a little bit. They start responding to the Lord. And I'm like, ooh, that makes me a little uncomfortable. That's religion in me peeking its head out. Man, I wish you guys grew up here like I did. Because if anybody's going to make religion in you come out, it was my dad. He would dance like David. I mean, you remember that? What's that song? North Carolina. Take your shirt off. Spin it on your head like a helicopter. I've seen it in church. Not the song, but I've seen the clothes come off, spinning around the head. I remember one time I, I realized that uh, it wasn't a good um, church growth exercise to just let everybody go crazy during worship. And I remember at like, I don't know, 17, 18, Dad, you know, if we just keep a little bit of control over our church sometimes, people might show up on Sundays and decide to stick around. They might not think it's weird. I can't remember his exact response, but I know I did not leave that moment feeling great about myself. (laughs) Religion had been exposed on the inside of me. Worship will do it every time especially when worship gets extreme, especially when people become wild about Jesus. But remember how I started this off. When darkness is exposed to some light, it loses its power. So worship doesn't just expose religion to expose it. It exposes it because then it's our job to have a proper response, whether we see it in ourselves or somebody else. If it's somebody else, I'm not saying you should cut them out of your life, but I can tell you David's response might naturally cut some people out of your life. Oh, that makes you uncomfortable? Well, just wait. It's going to get a lot more uncomfortable for you. 
You don't need to cut people out of your life, I don't think, unless the Holy Spirit tells you to. But to see that religion and then recognize it and to respond the right way is very important. And uh, if you think about Jesus, his responses were always kind because love is kind. They weren't always nice, but sometimes kind isn't nice. Those aren't the same things. That will come up next week. He doesn't reject people. He accepts them. So we're going to talk about all that. But worship, and especially when it gets a little wild. In our church, we can get a little bit wild, but I think it might get a little bit wilder pretty soon. There was a lady, I'll close, the band can come back up, but there's a lady that, man, she, she used to come here a lot. She moved. She was an older lady, and uh, man, she dances awkwardly. She has the appearance. It's a little bit awkward. It's a little bit weird. She makes you uncomfortable. And one day she was here. And I'm telling you, if we had a video of her dancing before the Lord, it could have been number one Church of Laugh video or all those Instagram accounts that are funny church moments. I'm telling you, it could have had a million views. She did this every week, every time the music starts. And I was leading worship one time years ago. And I, was, I just had this thought. I was like, I mean, Lord, does this have to happen every week? And I just heard Jesus say to me, well, I'd be right beside her if I was here. And then when she sits down, I'd sit right beside her for church. I heard Jesus say that to me. I know it. And I thought, man, that's the person I avoid. That was a religious spirit. That was a religious attitude. And I had to respond to that. It wasn't a horrible, harsh rebuke. It was just Jesus telling me, well, that's my favorite person here. Why are you, why are you trying to avoid that person? And that was harsh feeling. But I know he said it in love. And I responded the right way. So next week we're going to talk about how to respond when a religious spirit pokes its head up. We sang this song, or I don't know if they're going to sing this same one, but those lyrics, that's why we sing those. Tear down the walls of my tradition. Break up the ground of my religion. Your ways are better. His ways aren't religious. Jesus broke the rules. We were talking about this a little bit in our men's meeting Thursday. Even if you try to make a uh, step one, two, three from how Jesus did things, you just won't be able to do it. Even when he healed people, he tells one person, open your eyes and see, and they can see. He tells somebody else, hey, stand still while I spit in the mud and put it on your eyes and then go wash your face off and you'll be able to see. Well, I'm confused. Is step one, tell them that they can see, open your eyes, or is step one, spit in the mud? His ways are higher. And you're not going to be able to build a religion off of Jesus. And the people that try make it gross. And there's a whole generation running away from the churches that have made a religion out of Jesus. But he's after relationship. He always has been. And we can have it. Even the most religious out there can still have a relationship with Jesus. That religion sure holds him back in a lot of areas. But we're going to talk about breaking up that ground and tearing down those walls a little bit more next week and how to respond. So I really hope you can be back. And uh, if not, if you just got to be gone next week, then listen to the podcast. It'll be out on Monday, I guess. It's always, we always upload the podcast on Mondays or watch it online or whatever. But I think it's very important for you to be back to hear the next half of this how to respond when that religious spirit pokes its head up leave encouraged though
Because once it's in the light, it loses its power. You already have authority over it, but just like other things, you got to know it's there to even use that authority. If you don't know it's there, you might be walking around with full authority over religion and religious spirits, yet they have a little influence because you're not using that authority that you have. So it loses its power. And then we'll talk about how to respond next week. Amen. I love you guys. Let's all stand and let's worship for a few moments. And if he gets wild and it makes you uncomfortable, you know, you know what that is now. <laughs> I love you. Let's worship. Let's respond to the Lord.